watchers in the fourth dimension. Something happening on this mountain. I can feel it. Well, he says he's a doctor, but I know what he's really after. Do you not realize you're the man to be a bit daffy? Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Watches in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. This episode, we're going to be taking a look back at Season 5's The Abominable Snowmen. We previously discussed this serial in our 45th regular episode, Chonkers of the Himalayas. So why are we looking at this one again? Well, the missing episodes were recently animated, so we're going to discuss that. But first, a very quick look at the background on this one. The original episodes of this serial were broadcast on BBC One in the UK between the 30th of September and the 4th of November 1967. As was common at the time, the serial was then sold on to various other countries, and this one was known to have been screened in Australia, Hong Kong, New Zealand, Gibraltar, and Zambia. It's believed that its final transmission, however, would have occurred sometime around 1975 in Nigeria. The original videotapes that were held in the UK were initially deemed to be of no further interest by the BBC in July 1969. BBC Enterprises, which was the commercial arm of the BBC, still held 16mm film prints of each episode, but these had all been junked by the time the BBC officially ended its junking policy in 1978. The only surviving episode, episode 2, was returned to the BBC in 1982. The story of its return is a little curious. A gentleman by the name of Roger Stevens, who at the time was working as a film editor at the BBC, bumped into a BBC colleague on the train on his commute to work one morning, and they ended up talking about Doctor Who. The colleague was a projectionist, and had mentioned that he had nine episodes of Doctor Who that Stevens could buy for the grand total of £25, Mm -hmm. which back then was actually quite a lot of money. In the summer of 1981, Stevens bought the Space Museum episode one, The Abominable Snowman Episode 2, The Moon Base Episode 4, Invasion of the Dinosaurs Episode 1, and three episodes of Carnival of Monsters. Stevens then contacted Doctor Who aficionado Ian Levine to determine which were missing from the BBC archives, and Levine confirmed that The Abominable Snowman Episode 2 and Invasion of the Dinosaurs Episode 1 were both missing. Stevens gave these prints to Levine, who returned the episode of The Abominable Snowmen to the BBC in February 1982, while holding back the Invasion of the Dinosaurs episode, seemingly to use to bargain with other holders of missing episodes to try and get them to return them. Like all of the episodes of Doctor Who that are missing, audio to the full story survived the purges thanks to the efforts of some incredibly dedicated fans who literally rigged up sound recording devices to their TVs and recorded the audio live. That takes us to November 2021, when the BBC announced that the latest in their animation range would be The Abominable Snowman. And that was announced on the 23rd of November. So that was the show's 58th anniversary. The Big Finish creative team were announced as the team behind the animation. They had previously been responsible for the animations of The Reign of Terror episodes 4 and 5. 10th Planet Episode 4, The Moon Base Episodes 1 and 3, Fury from the Deep, The Web of Fear Episode 3, and Galaxy 4. Parts of the work were subcontracted, with Digitoons handling animation and backgrounds, and Shapeshifter handling the post-production work. The final product was released on the 5th of September 2022. Sadly, no more missing Doctor Who is currently planned to be animated. The range that started with The Power of the Daleks was co-funded by BBC America, who decided to stop funding these animations after this project. Is this the end of the road for missing Doctor Who animations? Well, who knows what the future may hold. But right now, we're here to discuss the animation of The Abominable Snowman. 
So everyone, I didn't give you an option this time. We watched the black and white version. Didn't give you the color, <laughs> Riley. <laughs> Damn so I, you. <laughs> the first question I have is, in comparison to the other animated serials that we've seen, what did you all think of the animation style? Was it an improvement? Was it about the same? Was it somehow worse? Well, I think the arms seemed a little bit shorter than <laughs> lately. In all serious, I mean, that is a serious yes. bit, though. I'm, I, that is true. The backgrounds in some of the particular scenes, such as the being on the astral plane scene, uh, stood out to me and were quite interesting. I don't know if that would be the Digitoons group that you were discussing, but I was particularly taken with that because that seemed different than what I had seen from previous animated missing episodes. I rather enjoyed it. I don't think it was quite the best but I think it is a really good one. Yes, the arms are not a ridiculous length. What I really enjoyed, and I don't know if it's so much of the style and so much just some of the choices that they made, but I really appreciated that they tried to make the cast more diverse and also making sure that all of the individuals were identifiable. So for example, some of the monks, one of them had the scar on his face. Some of them had darker skin. Some of them had lighter skin, different haircuts. And I think that just helps one, when you're in an animated film, you don't want everything to look the same or else you think people are being lazy in the animation. But it was just nice to see probably a little bit more life in the characters than what we had gotten in the actual episode itself. I agree with Julie about the character designs, especially. I think one of them was actually had some sort of eye injury, like one of the eye was paled out. So that was kind of neat. Overall, I don't think it's the best one that we've had, but it's not bad. It's, it's well done. Yeah. I think the gold standard is still the two episodes of The Invasion, which interestingly is the first one they did. But generally, I agree. And to Julie's point, I was reading the notes written by Gary Russell, the producer that came with the DVD release. And he talks about how he saw this as an opportunity because the BBC didn't hire a diverse cast to do this. They did it in true BBC style where they put white people in in yellow face to represent Tibetan monks. So he took the opportunity with this to tell the animators, make sure you animate these characters to actually look Asian. And some of them didn't even have yellow face. Some of them were just a plain old white guy dressed up as a monk. Right. <laughs> the abbot. <laughs> the other thing Gary Russell talks about is taking the opportunity to actually make it look like it's happening in Tibet and not in Snowdonia National Park in Wales, which obviously <laughs> the original was recorded there. I think there was some care taken on this one, and I really think they took on the criticism about the arm length. <laughs> I think another thing that was interesting that I actually enjoyed, I always struggle with this man's name because it's Padmasambhava or something like that. Panda Salad Bar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You actually got it right, Julie. Yes. I wasn't even looking at it. I'm so proud of myself. Anyway, I actually like the direction where they gave him a body, or at least first it was just an image of a body, and then it showed more and more of it, and it was the decaying body that he had been. I actually thought that was a really interesting choice, and I actually preferred that to the disembodied voice. Yeah. And Julie, that kind of takes us into what are the best things. And I was also <laughs> going to ask, what don't you like from the animation? But that was definitely on my list. I thought they made him look spectacular. The way his body's kind of become warped and like the shape of his mouth being all twisted and he's clearly decaying. He looks fantastic. He looks like a mummy or one of those people that when they find like a body in a bog that's well preserved, but it's all eh, and gross. Yeah. It was well done. And it's well led up to. 
because all the scenes previous before the full reveal is behind that sort of screen. And I really like that shot. It's really well composed. And you can kind of see the image behind it and know that it's all messed up, but you don't know how badly messed up it is. And it kind of makes your mind start to wonder. I enjoyed that shot in those scenes particularly. Are there any others? One example I thought was particularly impressive was towards the end of episode one, when Jamie and Victoria are trapped in the cave and the Yeti pulls back the stone and then appears in silhouette as the light shines into the cave from behind it. That looked really effective to me. That is a nice shot, but it's followed up by when they're leaving the cave, it's intended that the characters run, but they didn't quite animate that correctly. It looked kind of janky. I noticed that not just in that section, and I guess we'll go ahead and talk a little. We're just a little all over the place, Anthony. Sorry. But I think, Don, you're right. One of the things that they struggled with most is running. Yeah. <laughs> it's strange. That seems to be a complaint that we've had oftentimes with this particular animation set is once they got the arm length fixed, we did like the characters, how they are design, but we have always had problems with the action. And to hit on something that I found positive, I know I mentioned I really enjoyed the backgrounds. I don't know how they did for differently when they would have like in the temple. Those scenes seem to be done in a completely different manner than other backgrounds. I guess they were done by one of the other different design companies. And also I really enjoyed shots of like certain inanimate props. For example, the kind of Yeti chessboard, the look of those looked really nice. So I enjoyed the look of it as a whole, but I would have to agree with everyone else that the movement and the actions of the characters themselves, and we'll get into the Yetis themselves, I have a lot to say about them, but their movement was not great. But that's not necessarily the fault of the animators that maybe just inherit in the creature design all the way back to the 60s. I would venture to guess that's the case. There was an issue with the way they were animated, though. Yes, I will get to that, or we can talk about it now if you like. Let's go ahead and do it, because I have a note on the scene where they attack Song in episode three. That is terribly animated. They just kind of lay hands on him and dance around a bit. It was not good. It's because it's, like I just said, it's inherent in the design of the creature that it is just impossible to make it menacing because there's a poor person in the middle of that costume who's overheated and wearing something incredibly bulky. They can't really do anything. And I particularly... <laughs> found it amusing the scene where jamie and the doctor are trying to get to the tardis and there's one sitting out front and he just has this just kind of lumpy dumpy kind of look of him he looks like he looks like a walmart greeter just sitting there hey how are you just it looks so bad but once again that is probably just the design flaw of the creature itself, not the animation. I just think maybe that's the best they could do. I mean, they couldn't drastically change it, could they? Here's the thing, Riley. Think back to the Macro Terror. Think how the animators took the opportunity to massively reimagine that, mm -hmm. and particularly how the Macro move and what they could physically do. They had an opportunity to do that here, and they just didn't. It's hard, though, with the Yeti, because the Yeti are in multiple serials, so they have a pretty well-established, this is what they Yeti 
are like. So I don't know that they had as much flexibility as with the Macro Terror, which is just a one shot. I think I would have been very disappointed if they messed with my chonky boys. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how they look. It's silly and it's weird, but you just got to go with it. I think they could have done a better job at them kind of roughing up Chris Song. I know they weren't meant to kill him in that scene. His death comes a lot later, but that scene just really didn't work for me. I think action is always going to be difficult in these. Here's hoping they wind up making some more at some point. Just because action's expensive. It's hard <laughs> to put these things together and make it work in an action scene. And I think that's particularly with this kind of Archer style of animation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like the cartoon. I can't remember the name of it back in the old, old days where they would just use still images and then videotape a person's lips moving and just put that. Oh, you mean like clutch cargo? Yes, exactly. That's what they should do. If they really don't have any money for any more of these, they should try to like pitch that. It's like, okay, we can make it for like an eighth the cost now. There's always stick figure YouTube. Yes. Remember, when I win the lottery, I will fund it all. One thing I also liked, and I think it goes to that scenery thing, is especially in episode six, the mist and the fog yeah. was really well done. I like that too. I really liked, as Riley mentioned, the background for the astral plane. That looked really, really cool. And another aspect I loved was what was in the original done using our dearly departed BBC phone machine. <laughs> the goo or whatever it's meant to be coming out of the mountain is this kind of spidery webbing effect that slowly yeah. creeps out in the animation. I thought that looked really cool. That it was did. very cool. I like that a lot. One thing I noticed that it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I just noticed that they did purposely leave out a few things from episode two, which was the full episode that we had, because yes, I watched it just to see the compare and contrast is that one Jamie had a shoulder bag and they were like, yep, nope, not going to be wearing that. That's just another thing to animate. And then at one point, the doctor had this really interesting scarf thing that I think had stars or some other things on it. And in the animation, they were like, yep, nope, we're not doing that one either. I just found that interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that comes down to expense because oh, yeah. they have standard character models and then to add something on is just more money. So yeah, you're right there. It just made sense that, you know, when Jamie had the metal ball, he had put it in his bag. And then when he doesn't have the bag, I'm like, where does he put it? In his pocket. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. In his sporin is what you should say. But anyway. No, because he was wearing like a, not quite a hoodie, but. Yeah, that weird jacket. <laughs> yeah, he was wearing a jacket. Other things I really like, episode six, the culmination of the whole thing, the climax. Firstly, the way they have Padmasambhava levitating and glowing, it's really kind of Christ-like imagery, but it works quite well. Also classic horror movie stuff. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Where the lighting was coming down. And I noticed there were a lot of horror movie tropes in this anyway that were in the original. For example, Padmasambhava talking through Victoria's mouth. That's very kind of possession type trope so kind of appropriate we're talking about this during spooky season possessed by a panda salad bar <laughs> <laughs> also the way they have panda salad bar damn it got me doing it now <laughs> 
stopping Travis's bullet, I thought was pretty cool. That was a nice effect. I always liked the character. Yeah. Actually, I'd forgotten exactly how abrasive and insane he was at the beginning. Yeah. And then you get that one moment of clarity and quiet where the real Padmasamvar talks to the doctor and you realize how much of this is the great intelligence versus the man underneath. Yeah, I liked a lot of the animation in episode six. So on top of that, the way he disintegrates when he's defeated, very, very well done. And the very end bit with the Yeti's finger twitching at the end of the episode, (laughs) Uh, all I was thinking was the end, question mark, very Flash Gordon. I liked that they used a different design for the real Yeti at the end. (laughs) I didn't like the finger twitch. The different Yeti at the end had such an expression on him, like he felt like, wait a minute, shit. Am I in the wrong television show? I'm not supposed to be here. (laughs) Maybe a bit offended, like, is that what you think my people look like? You really think our butts are that big? If I recall correctly, in the original, the real Yeti was just a skinny version of our Chonky Boys. Yeah. All right. The next question I have for you guys is, does the animation actually improve the story? Yes, in my opinion. Oh, I thought you were answering for at least two of Yeah, I thought you were going to go further on that. Do you want me to expand on that? Okay, I guess I can expand upon that. It really does help, although I'm also just trying to think back on what it was like watching without everything. But there are moments of action, yes, and maybe the action stuff isn't what's helpful here. But there's a lot going on here where there's not as much going on. It's a lot of character interaction. Talk about episode one when they're rifling through the box of things with the broken bagpipes and the other things that are in there. So I think that getting to see all that kind of helps make it not seem as slow because you can actually see some things as opposed to just looking at telesnaps and being bored to tears. You get an idea of what's actually happening between those shots because sometimes it's like, wait, what is happening here? I don't quite understand the relationship between A and B, but the animation always helps clear that up. To answer your question, I think that I'm going to have to sit on the fence on this one because I agree with what Julie said. Those are really good points. But I've made this comment oftentimes when we do these discussions regarding animations of missing episodes, and that is there's something magical about it when you get to the point of watching this part of the show where episodes are gone, you have an understanding of the characters before you get to it, you know them, and then you can kind of imagine. And just like the classic trope of never show the monster, it's always better in people's imagination. I kind of feel like that sometimes when we do this. And for some reason, for this one in particular, I feel that way. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that in my mind, from the limited footage prior to seeing The Web of Fear, the limited footage of the Yeti, I could kind of imagine them in a menacing way. <laughs> this animation has removed me of all concept of them being menacing, and they just seem like very slow, sad grimaces from McDonald land. And so therefore, <laughs> I kind of wish I still had that little spark of imagination that made me think of this as something where they were menacing and I could see it being problematic. This kind of pulls the veil away and kind of reveals that this is not as good as I imagined it. So yeah, I feel like... <sighs> I'm glad there's options. You don't have to watch an animation. If you want to go my way, that's fine. What I'm hearing is 
from now on, you're just going to watch it with your eyes closed. Yes. To appreciate the pure imagination of the series. Yeah, the pure imagination. I'm not watching any more visuals. I'm completely just listening to the audio only. It ruins it. It takes away its purity. <laughs> Back to radio. It's interesting, too, though, that you focus so much on the Yeti, because when I watched it this time with all of this, Padma Samava is so much more interesting now that I actually focus on him more. And I don't really care that the Yeti aren't menacing because that's not what the story is about. And they never were. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't bother me. <laughs> My thinking on this one is before I watched this, I thought that this was a four-parter that had been relentlessly padded out to six parts. And now I've watched the animation, I still think this was a four-parter <laughs> that was relentlessly padded out to six parts. It moves at a glacial pace. Hey, I see what you did there. Yeah, hey. While there are some good things about the animation, I still don't think this is a good story. And the animation improves it a little bit because it provides some visual flourishes. But I think my criticisms before were around the plot and my criticisms are still around the plot. So we'll get into it probably when we score it. I would say it's slightly better than watching the Telesnap reconstruction because there's some movement, but it doesn't really improve the story per se. One thing that I noticed, and I'll go down a little soapbox here, just real quick, guys. I was watching this and obviously we've started Tom Baker and I noticed a few key things that were done. And most of this stuff was done even before the third doctor. And I think that I just really appreciate the characterization and the growth of characters that happened in the first and second doctor's era a lot more. I have started to also feel that I don't mind longer stories if there's a lot of characterization. So we got the first episode when all three of them are in the TARDIS together and they're playing around in the box and you really get to see the doctor snarking at Jamie because he wants to fix some bagpipes and things like that. You also get Jamie and Victoria together as companions without the doctor together, which I haven't seen in a while. So I really enjoyed that in those type of things. So I think that while, yes, there's some padding, it gives it time for the characters to breathe. You get into three and four, and it's like, we need action in order to make the story move along, as opposed to we need to build up the characters. So I think that's just something that I've noticed. Interesting. That's a fair point about Jamie and Victoria. The two of them together are amazing. To add on to what she just said, you also notice that the dynamic between the doctor and the companions is different because you get the doctor bantering with both Jamie and Victoria and they feel like they're friends. Yeah. And that's really nice. You just don't see that very much. I will tell you, we will see that again. Not going to say when. I think I've started to miss it more and more. As much as I like the third doctor with Joe, I don't think it's still quite in the friend capacity that we would get with a Jamie or Victoria or a Zoe. So I'm really, really wanting that back. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to point that out just because this was a nice little look back onto how companions interacted with other doctors and how those things are different with the different types of stories that they're telling. Yeah. And I knew from our text threads. <laughs> this week that there were some things that you said you were missing. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Julie. I tried to keep it short and I'm not trying to like really be down on the new stuff because there are good things about it. And obviously the third doctor we rated higher than than others with our arbitrary ratings, but just something to think about. Before we rate this, quick question for each of you. If you were of the mind to rewatch this story, is the animation 
going to be your preferred viewing option or are you likely to seek out something else, whether it's the reconstruction or whether it's stick figures on YouTube or just <laughs> narrated audio or what have you? The all semaphore version is my preferred version. <laughs> Riley, thoughts? I'm going to buy this DVD. I'm going to watch it in color. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> no, I think if I wanted to rewatch this one, I don't know. I'm feeling nostalgic. I think that coming back to the second Doctor, it reminds me of our time watching the second Doctor. And I think back of watching those reconstructions and I enjoyed that. It was something that is now kind of going away with these animations. So I think if I was going to watch this again, I'd want the full nostalgia of the second Doctor plus the way I had watched them before, which is with the reconstructions that we watched originally. That's fair. Julie? I will go with the animation. And part of that is I actually really enjoyed some of the choices that they made. Again, we've I mentioned them before with Padsamava and a few other things. So yeah, I'll go with animation. Don, serious answer this time. Animation, black and white. <laughs> okay. I think for me, it's a mood thing. I know there is a new reconstruction that is on the DVD. So I didn't have time to watch that, but I plan on. And I think sometimes it'll be animation for me. Sometimes it'll be recon. All right, let's go ahead and re-rate this based on what we've seen. Last time round, I gave this a 5, Donna 6.5, Julia 5, and Riley a 6. As the lowest, I think Julie and I should probably go first. Julie, I know you hate going first, so <laughs> I will take a stab at this before handing over to you. As I mentioned, the animation for me still doesn't really solve the core problem of the story in that it's just absurdly padded. But it does improve a few things. What they did with Padmas and Bavar was very, very cool. What they did with having a more diverse group of monks, one of whom, by the way, I don't know if anyone noticed, looks like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed what they did with the setting. And they did some cool things, particularly in the climax in episode six. So while I think the story is still not great, it's improved just enough for me to knock this up to six out of 10 silver balls. <laughs> Julie, as my co-lowest previously, <laughs> over to you for the next one. I am going to rewrite this and it is going to be better. I've waxed poetic about a few things. I think that I've started to realize what I really like out of Dr two stories. So I really prefer the little bit of slowness with a little bit more characterization and really getting to know our people. I am going to give it seven broken bagpipes out of <laughs> 10. Riley, you were the next lowest. Let's hear whether there's an improvement on your six. Well, I believe the animation was well done. I appreciate how they flesh it out. I just once again feel that I had an idea in my head and it was probably impossible for them to meet that. So I think that my rating is dependent purely on the story. This is not a statement on the animation. I think they did a good job. I think it just, their animation made me see the story in the intended way. And it took away what I had in my mind, which obviously I preferred because I came up with it. So I give this five and a half fuzzy grimaces out of 10. Wow. I think that's the first time anyone's backslid on a rating where they've done an animation. Just a tad. I feel like it's just 0.5. I didn't want to be boring and just keep it the same. And like I said, the animation did a very good job. This is what the animation revealed to me about the story. That's fair. Also, Riley, what's in your head is not always better than I know. an animated or... <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. Like I said, I had an idea in my head of how I pictured it. And sometimes what you get is disappointing. Other times it's fantastic. And this time it wasn't that. And last but not least, Mr. Don. Well, first of all, expectation is the sworn enemy of appreciation. <laughs> However, I liked it. I liked it before, but I don't love it. It's a good story. It is stretched out probably a little bit more than it needs to be, but I still enjoyed it. I like the kind of janky way they animated the Yeti. I like the slight change in the design of the OG Yeti. I like the fact that it was easier to tell the characters apart, and I really liked what they did with Panda Salad Bar. <laughs> <laughs> As a result, I'm going to bump my rating up just a tad to seven chonky boys forever out of 10. <laughs> Our previous story average was 5.63. Our new ratings bumped it up to 6.38, which putting this back in the context of season five, it's still slightly below par for the season, but it's now a better story based on our arbitrary ratings than the Ice Warriors, Fury from the Deep, sorry, Fury from the Deep fans, and the Wheel in Space. So distinctly middling for the season. So good job, guys. All right, we will be back next time with another regular episode i believe that it should be genesis of the daleks that is definitely one not to miss so tune back in next week and the next animated one we do is going to be the space pirates right oh obviously <laughs> we're on that already julie's already paying for that animation but in the meantime dear listener thank you so very much for listening and as always have a good one You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This bonus episode, Panda Salad Bar, was recorded on Wednesday the 5th of October 2022. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, when Julie wins the lottery, she's going to pay for Don Bluth to animate the remaining missing episodes. So go ahead and buy her a ticket.